0: This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about UnitedHealthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, as we're recording this podcast, the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, mm-hmm is on a plane. He's returning to Israel. It's the third visit he will have made in the last two weeks to talk to the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and also Mr Blinken intends to go to Jordan, where he may speak to the king. Jordan, you will remember, is one of the countries that snubbed Joe Biden and refused to talk to him after the Israeli Defence Forces attacked or allegedly attacked a hospital, causing hundreds of people to die. The war now in the Middle East, in the Gaza Strip, to be specific, is dividing nations everywhere in Europe and in the United States and indeed in the United Kingdom. What isn't united is the Arab world and the Southern Hemisphere. And indeed, last weekend we saw large demonstrations protesting the behaviour of the Israeli Defence Forces and indeed by implication and sometimes by name, the United States of America, which funds and arms the Israelis and the latest number of dead we have in Gaza is over 9,000 and 3,760 of them are children and over 2,500 are women What we should say also is that the catalyst for all of this terror was a shocking atrocity committed by Hamas in Israel on October 7th when, on the morning of October 7th, they got into Israel, attacked Kibbutzim, and 1,400 Israelis were slaughtered in the most disgusting and inhuman way, 230 hostages were taken and they remain hostages except for four. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich. Nile's the associate editor of the Hill newspaper there and their White House columnist. Nile, like everywhere else, America is to some extent divided. In particular, the Democrats are divided. Can you tell us how dangerous this is for President Biden and who are the dissidents? and how America in general is responding to what is now beginning to look like a genocide.
2: It's politically uh, very dangerous for President Biden. Now, I I don't want to get immediately into the politics without acknowledging the correctness of what you just said about the scale of death, the Palestinian death toll, keeping rising, as you say, past 9,000, those 1,400 Israelis who were, who were killed in the most grotesque fashion. It is, of course, though, a political issue in large part because the United States in effect, underwrites Israel, not just uh, financially, but militarily and politically, and is its defender in, for example, the United Nations, where Israel's conduct is often uh, more widely condemned. For President Biden, I think the issue is twofold. He has and is a strong supporter of Israel and has been for decades. He talks with some pride about, for example, meeting with Golda Meir, Uh, in israel in the 1970s when he was a very young senator the difficulty for biden is that younger democrats and more left-wing democrats simply don't see the conflict in the same way as he does as you uh, get uh, across the political spectrum to younger people and more left-wing people sympathy for the palestinian cause rises Uh, Obviously, those people are extremely uh, upset with the bloodshed that is taking place in Gaza. And there is the additional political factor that in one swing state in particular, the state of Michigan, there is a sizable Arab American and Muslim population. As you can well imagine, those voters are extremely angry with the way uh, President Biden has uh, conducted uh, the American response to this so far. Uh, It's unlikely that those voters would go over to the Republican side, but they might well not vote next year, which would be a problem in itself for Biden.
0: Yes, and in general terms, Niall, particularly, this is a generational thing, as you pointed out, for the Democrats. And Biden's numbers, in any case, were down. And I note that the bookmakers around here, who aren't often wrong, make Donald Trump now a warm favorite to be the next president of the United States. So Biden's presidency is on the line here, as indeed is his relationship with other countries across Europe.
2: Yes, very much so. I mean, just to take the example of Michigan that I mentioned, that was won uh, fairly narrowly by Biden, um, I was going to say four years ago, three three years ago in, in 2020. But he's going to need every vote. I, I mean, the nature of the electoral college is that, the margins can often be extremely small. Both times Trump was a candidate, his electoral college, um, the, the, the key votes that shifted the key states were extremely small in number over Hillary Clinton, and he lost by a comparatively small number against Biden. So now that you have a situation where Biden's approval ratings in the polling averages are down about 39%, Even something as uh, modest as uh, Arab American voters in a particular state not showing up or the left of the Democratic Party becoming disenchanted, these are very, very serious factors. And they could ultimately uh, wound Biden's attempt for a second term in a very, very serious way.
0: Yes, and I note that a Democratic member of the House of Representatives, the chair, in fact, of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, told NBC's Meet the Press last Sunday that Biden needed to be, quote, very careful. The American people, Jayapal said, support Israel's right to defend itself and to exist, but they do not support a war crime exchanged for another war crime.
2: Yes, and I think that view is commonplace, uh, certainly on the left and certainly among younger uh, so-called progressives. And this is one of the reasons that uh, Biden is in such a political bind. As the Palestinian death toll has increased, we are quite understandably seeing a rise in uh, criticism from those kinds of quarters. And Biden has tried in a very limited way, in my view, to uh, amend his rhetoric or to modulate his rhetoric a bit, talking about the need, for example, for Israel to uh, comport itself within the laws of war and all that. I mean, I think those have been rather toothless uh, claims myself, because I don't think the United States has really brought a lot of pressure to bear for that uh, outcome. But it is evidence, I think, that Biden is trying to thread a political needle while remaining um, full fruited in support of Israel.
0: So what message do you think, Antony Blinken, who holds the office of Secretary of State, which is the, you know, the most important office outside of the presidency, what message will he be bringing to Tel Aviv and also to Jordan?
2: Well, what we know in terms of how his trip is being sort of previewed to people like myself here is that there is emphasis on uh, at least a couple of things. One being, what is Israel's actual plan? Given that the Israeli government purports not to be interested in a full-scale occupation of Gaza, then, okay, you're going to go in, you're going to claim they're going to uh, eliminate Hamas, whether that proves to be a re- realistic goal or not, what happens after you're done with that, if you're Israel?
0: The phrase is, what does the day after look like? It's a phrase right. that Blinken used just before he got on his plane. Right.
2: So that's obviously going to be a big emphasis. The other thing is the, the point that I just mentioned, this idea of the importance of seeking to avoid um, civilian casualties and uh, seeking to press Israel to maintain... Well, maintains actually the wrong word, in my opinion, pressing Israel to act within the laws of war and international law. Um, I mean, again, I mean, I think last week when we spoke about this issue, I mentioned the fact that the centre of political gravity on the whole struggle between Israel and the Palestinians is very different here in the US to how it yes. is in Ireland. And so, um, Israel's claims, for example, to be minimizing civilian casualties are uh, taken more at face value here than I think they typically would be in Ireland writ large.
0: Yes, and the divisions now opening, I mean, one of the successes in my view, and I think many people share the view of the Biden presidency, was the response to Vladimir Putin's Russian invasion of Ukraine The way that Putin had to face a coherent response from the United States, not just in terms of funding, but in uniting NATO, which Biden did, overcoming divisions in Europe and in NATO, and if you like, getting a group of people with differing opinions to coalesce around the defense of Ukraine. Because of the reaction of the Israelis, that coalition he formed, I don't think it exists now. And America is really the focus of a lot of anger from outside and the the demonstrations in particular across the world last weekend had more than a hint of anti-Americanism reminding me, for example, about Mm anti-Vietnam protests. So America's position as a nation and as the leader of the quote-unquote free world is now on the line Mm. because of this conflict and the way it's being conducted.
2: Yes, I think that's a very fair point. I said a few minutes ago about the United States, part of its role, a part of its alliance with Israel being the defending of Israel at the United Nations. I uh, don't have the numbers for this vote in my head, but you'll remember there was a recent vote about calling a ceasefire or a recent resolution in the UN about uh, calling a ceasefire in Gaza. The United States voted against that. I, I know that Uh, you know, a number of Western European countries abstained, but the U.S. actually voted against that and was joined only really by um, a handful of um, significant countries and another handful of extremely small uh, island nations and so forth. The, The reason I mention that is just to underline your point that the position of the United States on this conflict is uh, out of step, clearly, with the the bulk of international opinion. It is, I think, particularly um, unpopular uh, among what's called the, the global south. You know, I mean, yes. Bolivia, for example, I note has, has broken off diplomatic relations with Israel over all this. So, uh, I mean, the United States is out of step, it would appear, with international opinion, whereas... As you rightly note, in Ukraine, one of Biden's great strengths and one of the things that he could uh, talk up is and was the bringing together of a, a lot of nations, especially across Europe, in defiance of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine.
0: Now, he gave a speech last night, Biden, and in response to a heckler, in fact, who interrupted his speech, calling for a ceasefire, Biden said, I think we need a pause. He does appear uncertain Mm. and weak and rather diffident. Mm. And that is, of course, as you explained to us, for 40 years he's been very close to Israel. He is an unqualified supporter of Israel. And Netanyahu, who is deeply unpopular among his own people at this moment, Mm. only 29% want him to be the Prime Minister. Biden rather sort of sentimentally said, I've known Bibi for 40 years. Mm. This is the old Biden shtick, isn't it? Mm. In, a, in a moment of real profound international crisis.
2: Yes, and I think that is part of the problem, mm-hmm. if we can put it that way. I mean, you. we talked about the generational uh, elements of this, and I think that Biden is of the age where Israel in the past dec- in past decades, certainly, you know, for decades after its foundation, was a, a sort of cause of the left or of left-of-center people. Yes. And that wasn't only, it was partly because Israel was sort of this small nation surrounded by other hostile neighbors. But it was also because, uh, I don't want to present myself as an expert on Israeli politics, but the Israeli Labour Party, for example, was very strong for a long period of time and is now, you know, has been superseded by Netanyahu and Likud and other uh, even more extreme parties on the right flank of that. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, certainly some Democrats are uneasy with Biden's uh, positioning in relation to this conflict. Now, I don't want to overstate that because the majority of Democrats are still quite yes, fervent supporters of Israel. But th- those sort of. Th- the idea that Israel is, you know, ha- has transitioned from being a nation that was vulnerable to a nation that behaves, uh, in the view of certainly lots of human rights organizations, oppressively. For the Palestinians. That shift is not and has not really been reflected in any way that I can see in Biden's worldview.
0: Yes, and just let me put to you a suggestion made by the Financial Times writer Edward Luce, mm-hmm. a very influential and good writer, but certainly no human rights campaigner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he won't be out on the mall with a Palestinian flag, should we say. You right. posed the following question, which I'll read to you. Is Netanyahu becoming an albatross around Joe Biden's neck? Mm.
2: It's a very good question, and I think the answer is very possibly yes, probably yes, because, um, I mean, it's a very peculiar relationship, really, where Israel would be in really serious trouble were it not for the U.S. support. But the US and the Biden administration, when questioned about, for example, American—sorry, uh, Israeli military operations, says things like, well, that's a matter for the Israelis, and is very loath to seem to get involved. At the very same time as there is a request from the president for Congress to authorize $14 billion in supplemental aid to Israel, in addition to the roughly $3 billion of aid Israel gets on an almost routine basis from the U.S. So it's, uh, I mean, it's a really difficult one to unpick, but there are, as I say, political dangers here for Biden, for sure.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, Like, what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you
0: Okay, let's move on now to the Congress where Mike Johnson was eventually elected speaker. Johnson is somebody who doesn't believe that Joe Biden is the President of the United States legitimately. He's far right in gay conversion therapy, and was for a very long time. He wants a nationwide ban on abortion, and he is against gay marriage. He is an extremely reactionary figure in the eyes of many people. He is now third in line for the presidency should something happen to Joe Biden and the vice president. The Congress has to sanction any aid now for Israel or indeed for Ukraine, and we know that Johnson doesn't want any aid to go to Ukraine he looks like a very strange figure. Is it the far right of the Republican Congress that has got him elected, where they have a very slender majority? Mm. Yes, it basically is.
2: Uh, Republicans in the House of Representatives are farther to the right as a body than Republicans in the Senate, for the very simple reason that the constituencies in the House are smaller and are gerrymandered on both sides, which encourages kind of polarization, whereas in the Senate you have to represent a complete state and therefore you have more of an interest in appealing to moderate voters. Um, Mike Johnson is a very, very socially conservative figure. Uh, you mentioned the abortion thing where he has said that he wants to get the total number of abortions down to zero. There is, as you say, the association with uh, groups that were advocates of uh, a conversion therapy for gay and lesbian people. And just, I would say, in his overall um, worldview, it is a sort of a, well, it's a a worldview that leans upon the Bible to a significant extent, and he would uh, proudly say that. Yes, Where that uh, becomes uh, politically problematic is, I think, particularly the abortion issue, Because uh, although Roe v. Wade, the case that gave a constitutional right to abortion, was struck down uh, last year, more than a year ago now, um, Republicans and and anti-abortion people have suffered a number of political setbacks since then, um, as a consequence, really, of um, mostly but not exclusively female voters Sort of taking great exception to attempted bans on abortion and voting for Democrats to protect reproductive rights.
0: Now, to what the man who is possibly going to be the next president of the United States, Donald Trump. Trump is facing the trial that many people say worries him most in New York. It's not a criminal trial, he will not go to prison. But he and his organization, his family, sons, have been already found guilty of fraud. It's a very serious case, and his son Donald Jr. was due to give evidence, and the man himself is due to give evidence very shortly as well. But it is a case in which he faces up to $250 in fines, and perhaps the biggest blow of all, he will not be allowed to do business in New York, which is, of course, his home state, ever again. That's a, a real threat to him, and, and he is said to be more worried about that than almost anything.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is a very serious case, despite, as you rightly say, not being a criminal matter, uh, because it could ultimately really rupture any uh, capability that he or his organization have to do business. Now, of course, he, as you would expect, is weighing in with all sorts of fairly belligerent statements about how it's all A setup or witch hunt or politically motivated, and indeed, you know the the his main tormentor here, the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James, um, is a Democrat and has no love for him. Donald Trump Jr. did testify on Wednesday, but basically uh, took refuge in the classic defence of um, business type defendants and said that he knew nothing about the alleged uh, wrongdoing. That wrongdoing to make it simple, is about uh, purportedly inflating the value of assets when it's useful, as in collateral for loans, and deflating the use of assets when that is useful, such as to reduce a tax bill. Donald Trump Jr. basically said, uh, I wasn't really all that hands-on in the Trump organization. We relied on outside experts or sometimes uh, you know, other experts to provide us with good advice, and I was just following that advice. Uh, Eric Trump, uh, the president's, uh, former president's other adult son, is also to testify. Ivanka Trump, his daughter, is trying to get out of doing so, and uh, the man himself, as you call him, is at the moment uh, scheduled to testify on Monday.
0: Yes, and he is the favorite now to be the next American president in many people's view because of Biden's failure of leadership, should we say, in recent weeks. The question, Niall, is this. I ask it because I saw it as a headline in, I think it was the Washington Post, and the headline read, Trump tightens his grip on the Republican Party. It may well Mm. have been the fact that his preferred candidate, Mike Johnson, about whom we've spoken a few moments ago, he's elected now as Speaker. But Trump appears to have, quote, to have tightened his grip Although there was a backlash against that kind of republicanism and his favorite candidates, was there not, last November, when they didn't do so well in the House and Senate elections. Yeah, that's right. That was about the time that Trump, I think, was politically
2: weakest, was in the wake of those midterm elections, because it really reawoke all the arguments or all the suggestions that he is a political millstone around the Republican Party's neck. There were a number of candidates he backed, um, Mehmet Oz, a sort of TV doctor in Pennsylvania, or Herschel Walker, a former football player in Georgia, who lost the general election. And so it reopened all those wounds about whether Trump was bad for the Republican Party in general elections. Since then, he has indeed tightened his grip on the party. Um, Partly that is because there's a sort of a knee-jerk defensiveness of him because of his various legal troubles. Partly it's because Ron DeSantis, the big rival to him, um, has sort of spluttered rather badly in his attempt to win the Republican nomination and to wrest it away from Trump. DeSantis is flailing really a long way behind. So all of those things have, uh, and and the mere fact that he is the odds-on favorite to become the Republican nominee at least, have certainly uh, strengthened his grip on the party.
0: Just a final question, Niall. Jack Smith, the prosecutor appointed by the Department of Justice to investigate Trump, his case, which will be heard in Washington beginning in March. Many people feel it is the most potent of the cases because there's only one charge, really, and it is to do with January the 6th and obstruction of justice, as I understand it. Is he likely to face that court in March, or is he likely to try, he will undoubtedly try, to be able to push that trial back post-November election?
2: I think that is the tactic in all of the four cases that Trump is uh, facing. I mean, he's facing four criminal trials and a total of 91 criminal charges. His whole gambit is to push that process beyond the 2024 election. Now, without getting too deep into confusing details, there is complexity here because federal cases, which includes Jack Smith's case, are cases that if Trump won in the end, he could basically perhaps pardon himself. Yes. State-level cases like the one in Georgia, a president does not have that power. So these various cases pose different levels of threat, but clearly Trump's overall strategy is to delay and obfuscate and push things as far out as possible in the hope. That he would win election in 2024, then he would be inaugurated in early 2025, and then he would be in a far stronger position to free himself from any of these legal consequences.
0: Okay, now we're very grateful to you for joining us today. Niall Stanich is Associate Editor of The Hill, a very good and moderate, shall we say, in an American contest and reasonable publication in Washington, and their White House columnists. We're grateful to Niall, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials?